This is Lead with a Question. It's exciting for me because when I can coach people through that cycle, right, then they de facto become amazing organizational leaders because they're not tied into a box. They can break down the walls of the box. Hi, I'm Rob Callen. We live in a time when people are seeing that the old way of doing business is broken and that leaning into the future requires something new, a deeper focus on humanity, the courage to let go of power and ego, a desire to nurture the conditions for co-creation, and the bravery not to have all the answers. On this show, I, along with my friends Chris Deaver and Ian Clausen, connect with guests who embody these principles. And whether household names or not, they've shattered the status quo often as misfits, to shape the future with others and achieve miraculous things in work and life. Today, we talk with a senior executive whose search for meaning took him up into the mountains. He didn't return from that secluded experience carrying stone tablets, but he did come back having learned the power of this question. How can people shape opportunities to help others burn their brightest? A conversation with Kenny Funk, on this episode of Lead with a Question. From a sort of philosophical perspective, what I decided was that I I wanted something that was really simple and sticky for people to remember. So I had this epiphany as a as a leader. Uh, I think we all remember exactly where we were when 9/11 happened. You know, you can everybody's nodding their head and I remember exactly where I was. Um I was working for the Disney company at the time. I was walking Animal Kingdom with a couple of my leaders at the time. And somebody runs up and says, "Hey, a plane flew into one of the towers, the World Trade Center towers." And, you know, We were all looking at each other like all of us were everywhere in shock. Like, what? Um, This leader that I had happened to be a former Air Force pilot. And the assumption was that it was a small private craft initially, right, that flew into the tower. And he was like, no, mistakes like that don't happen. That was something more intentional, right? And so we scrambled and, and went back to the offices. And then, of course, the second tower was hit and, and both towers fell, uh, sadly. Well, um, you may remember sort of this this context of uh, or, or premise of cocooning, right? Everybody sort of drew everyone near to them uh, and dear to them close and all the things that were important to them close because it could go away at any point in time. Well, one month to the day after that, we were still all reeling and we're sort of fairly uncertain. Um, my father passed away suddenly from a heart attack, just fell out of a chair and, and died suddenly. So, you know, you have these two sort of singularity level events that, that happen in your life. And it sort of caused me to reflect and kind of reevaluate what I was supposed to be. And am I really doing what I should be doing? Am I using my level of giftedness, the gifts that I've been given uh, to their maximum effect on the world? 
right? So it, it sort of went from cocooning to why am I here? What am I doing? So I took this little sabbatical up to the mountains of North Georgia, and, and I do a lot of journaling. And I was there for three or four days, and I learned absolutely nothing about myself, um, sadly. So I got in the car, and I drove down the hill from this cabin I was staying in. And I, uh, as I was driving out, I saw this big billboard. And this big billboard had a bullseye on it. It was for this axe-throwing company or whatever. So this billboard, and I thought, that's it. I, I don't have a target. I've never really consciously processed as a leader or an individual what the target is or what my aim is. So I literally turned the car back around and went up back to the cabin and I started journaling on what is my aim? An aim is an acrostic. So I developed this this notion of this acrostic aim, A-I-M, aspiration, inspiration, motivation. Motivation is the fire that lives within each of us. It's the purpose for which we do everything. So if I could identify what my purpose was, and so what I was able to do then is sort of do some research and study and say, well, where did motivations come from? Well, motivations actually, when you think about the brain formation, all of those synaptic connections form in your brain, believe it or not, you don't develop one single new synaptic connection in your brain after you're about six or seven years old. So the pathways in your brain that, that sort of formed your thoughts, your feelings, the, the way you emote, all of those types of things were fundamentally hardwired into you by the time you were six or seven. So as I thought about my motivations, I said, well, what happened by the time I was six or seven that sort of really created the formation of who I am and what drives me to do what I do every day? Right. So it was what my parents and my teachers and my coaches and my youth pastor, whoever, those people that were influential in our lives at that point, poured those things into me at that point. So I started drawing back on those things and I said, well, really, what is it that drives me? And there was a few things that popped up and and it sort of resonated with me because it was sort of the characteristics of the behaviors that I exhibited as a leader. So competition was really important for me. And still is. And so I said, well, where did that come from? Well, it came from the fact that my brother was a year older than I was growing up. And a year older in developmental stage of four, five, six years old is huge jump. My dad would sort of pit us against one another. And and so as the younger one, it was really hard to achieve that standard that my brother had set, but I was trying. I desperately tried every day. So that went on till age of 10, 11, 12, where you sort of reach sort of intellectual capability and, and physical maturity that's somewhat equivalent, right? And then I said, I need something else to compete against. So that continued to grow through my life. And then I found this really cool thing called business. And you can compete every day against metrics. It's amazing. It's really cool, right? And so that was just one example of the many motivations that I identified. So that's the M. So if you can identify what it is and where it came from, then you can tap into it as a leader, right? For the people that work for you, and I'll get there in a minute. But for me as an individual, I could begin to feed myself the things that drove me to a higher level and understand exactly why and where it came from. So the I, so that was motivation M, I was for inspiration. So I had to process for a minute, when did I burn the brightest? 
when did I burn the brightest, both personally and professionally? And what were the specific characteristics of me burning the brightest? So in my case, it was I felt empowered. I felt engaged. I felt the authority without sort of subjugation to somebody scent marking something I was doing, right? Um, I felt like I could act with autonomy, with obviously supervision and direction, but with autonomy, not being sort of micromanaged. So those were some characteristics of when I felt the brightest. And then personally, I had some of those same characteristics. So why was that important for me to understand? It was important for me to understand because I could go get more of it, right? I could help coach my leader that those were the things that inspired me. I could help coach my partner, my wife, uh, those people that were influential in my life and tell them that this is what inspires me. If you want me to burn bright, here's how to get me to burn the brightest, right? And then finally, I had to really think about what the target itself was. So what were my aspirations? So I drew the distinction between goals and aspirations. Goals have a finish line. Aspirations don't. Aspirations are what you want to be. Goals are what you want to do. So I had to define for a minute, what is it that I want to be? What is my brand, so to speak? What is the perception that that I want people to really understand about me? So I came up with a list about 15 or 20 of these to be statements, right? So I said, I want to be the best leader in the organization that doesn't have a finish line. And I can do something every day to improve my leadership. I want to be the most prepared person in any setting that I'm in. I could do something better every day to be better at at, at being uh, more prepared. So as I sort of developed this framework of aspiration, inspiration, and motivation for myself at first, it was really kind of the keys to the kingdom for me. Because I realized uh, at that point in time that as, as I understood those things about myself and I could burn brighter, it was having an effect not only on me, but the people around me. And so I started sharing this premise with different people on the team that would come in for coaching, counseling or whatever. And I say, just take this with a huge grain of salt, but let's go through this exercise together. And to a person, every person that I went through this exercise with, two things happen. If you really get down into the core of things, people cry every time. It was amazing, but that's okay. Emotion's okay in the context of business and in personal life, right? And so once you start to uncover those things that really drive us, you know, then as a leader, what I was able to do is say, I'm going to make your fire, I'm going to help you make your fire burn the brightest it's ever burned. And I'm going to help you achieve your aspiration. So the essence of the whole thing was for me saying, I want to lead in a customized way versus a commoditized way. Customized means one size fits one. Commoditized means one size fits all. So the very best approach, the really long answer to your short question is simply this. If I can understand AIM, I don't need to read Maxwell, Covey, Carnegie, Ziegler, Ariely, Cialdani. I don't need to read any of those. I should, but I don't need to because those are the key elements of being successful. If you can understand what motivates you, what gets you out of bed every day and where it came from and be able to tap into that, you can understand specifically what inspires you and the characteristics around that. You can go get more of it. And if you understand aspiration, those things you want to be and have and tell people about that, 
they can help hold you accountable for behaviors that are consistent with doing that or not, right? And so as I was able to do that with leaders, I've done it with every single person that's been in my charge or a direct report ever since. And it's unlocked the keys to really leadership for me. Yeah, I love the idea too of, uh, and this is helpful for I think anyone uh, in their life is that you, you know, you didn't just take, yeah, like you said, these kind of, you know, self-help gurus, like their word for it, it was build your own, right? Principles, build your own framework, right? And that's something that anybody can do, uh, you know, to, uh, and, and to be su- not just successful, uh, but in the holistic sense, as you said, right? Which is to, to, yeah. nail, to, to hit their, um, you know, their biggest ambitions or, or aspirations, as you said, and, and, and what they're really, um, what really has meaning and purpose for them in their lives. Yeah, I'll give you a great example of the impact of this thing, uh, this AIM exercise. So, uh, like I said, I, I've walked literally everyone that's ever been on my team and then subordinates of theirs through, the, in, through this process. So, I tee it up in the form of a, a quick PowerPoint presentation, like, what is motivation? How should we think about it? And then here's the sort of homework assignment. What is inspiration? What does it look like? And when did you burn the brightest? Here's the homework assignment. What are your aspirations? Here's the homework assignment. So people go away and then they come back at some point in time. Usually they think, oh, I could knock this out in a few minutes. But if you do it really right, it takes weeks because you're going deep. You're going deep on this thing. That's why I say sometimes there's tears. So I had a conversation. Uh, this is towards the end of my Disney tenure um, with a, a young lady who was one of the most gifted analysts that I had ever worked with in my life. We had hired her of all places uh, from Juilliard. She'd gotten her master's degree at Juilliard and she'd sort of in the interview process just was really engaging and really had she got her undergrad in mathematics and, and she was just really engaging. And so it turns out really amazing analyst. So I could sense that in one of our one-to-ones that she was struggling with some things. So I said, Hey, let's just walk through this exercise. So I did the debrief with her on a Friday afternoon. She was an overachiever for sure. Um, and a few tears as part of the debrief because she was starting to process some things in real time. And I said, just do some homework, take your time, you know, come back to me when you're ready, because I want to be the most effective leader I can. And armed with these pieces of information, I can help you achieve what you want to be. Right. And so she says, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate this. I think this will be a good exercise. So I didn't think anything of it. Uh, went on my way for the weekend. Uh, when I got to the office on Monday morning, she was camped out at my doorstep with a piece of paper in her hand. And I'm like, oh, hi. Uh, her name was Angela. Hi. Uh, wh- what's going on? She goes, well, I'm ready to do my debrief. I was like, wow. Okay. Overachiever. So we got to talking for a while and she kind of walked through the exercise of AIM. And uh, and she said, um, "I this piece of paper in my hand is my resignation. And I was like, wait, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> that This did not have the desired outcome. The cool thing was, though, this is the cool part of the story. Um, she had always had a passion for animals. Always. Since she was a little girl, she grew up on a farm, and that was sort of her motivation, right? And so what she said was, um, I really want to be like a, a helper 
of animals, the four-legged friends, right? That That's what I want to be. I want to do nothing but that. And so she was resigning. That weekend, she had signed up for veterinary school. Now, she owns nine veterinary clinics in Orlando. And every year at Christmas, I get a letter that says, thank you for kicking me out of the nest. Are you kidding? You talk about impact. So she could have been an amazing analyst for years and years and years and retired at Disney and probably been one of the best analysts that has ever been at Disney. I mean, she was one of the type of people that I call them the miners. You put them with a a light on their hat and they just come out of the mine with gold nuggets from an analytics perspective, right? But that's not, she, she was not designed to be that. So what the power of this exercise is, is that it helps people unlock really what they were designed to be. I love that story. And that's, there's many other stories that are very, very similar to that. But the fact that, you know, she would take the time every year to write me a letter and say, thank you again for doing what you did for me as a leader. I mean, I could, I could stop working right now and feel like if I had no impact, but that one, I would feel fulfilled as a leader. I feel like I achieved my mission as a leader as a result of that conversation. Yeah. And that, that it's, it's so powerful, right? Thank you for sharing that, Kenny. It like highlights, it highlights what you said, which is, Hey, we're designed to, uh, you know, well, you know, I think of it as like, Hey, we're designed to create, we're designed to be co-creators, right. To build things. And, you know, I always appreciate about, and this highlights or your experience highlights the fact too, that you're, you're really, uh, you know, and, and I, I noticed this, I really appreciated it and it's different, right. Than what we see in typical leaders is, you know, you're a crossover leader, right. You're able to you know, reach into people's lives and, um, and, you know, and have, have those deeper conversations that could get to their core where they could make a decision. Uh, and, it, and, you know, and even just, I mean, I remember having the aim conversation with you. I was in HR, you know, like I'm different function, right? Like I'm kind of, you know, I'm support of the business. Um, but it wasn't something like that. I was technically in your org, you know, your organizational stewardship, right? So there's this, sometimes these delineating lines that are set in organizations and leaders will sometimes just assume, Hey, um, I've got to operate within my lane and that's it. Um, you didn't, you didn't do that, right? You, you were able to see with this lens uh, that you just said in kind of this perfect way, which was, Hey, you're seeing, you know, into, into people's lives, right. And, and, and what's possible for them, uh, you know, that, uh, and kind of, and what that does, is just, unlocks this kind of selfless force, right. That is good for the world yeah. and it's good for, for people. And, and I just wonder like, how would you, you know, in, in the spirit of, uh, yeah, I mean, co-creating that kind of magic for leaders who may wonder like, how do I even start doing that? Right. Where they're, and maybe they're, they're also just tasked with, Hey, get the results in your, in your silo, right. In your technical lane. And that's it. Um, but the impact they can have, right, as they as they reach beyond and, and kind of be being, you know, they're crossing over. I'm curious, like, what, what, what would you say to them? Well, I, I'd say you, you need to fundamentally evaluate uh, what leadership really is. Right. And I, I've always said this um, leadership is not effectively leading the team that works for you right? That's in your functional reporting structure. It's influencing the organization beyond that, right? 
So as we think about competency development, most people think of a list of core competencies for leaders as a sort of one chunk of, of a list, like industry expertise and thirst for learning and business savvy and, you know, those types of things. But for me, it's a stair step process as leaders. And, and to have the most influence on the organization, you have to get to the third rung of the ladder or the third step. So the first step of competencies that we need to work on are competencies around developing ourselves. That's the most important thing because you can't not be an effective leader. I'm convinced of this if you're not competent yourself and managing yourself, right? Because you don't really have credibility as a leader. I mean, it's fundamental, right? The second set of sort of competency criteria are effectively leading a team. Those competencies that are effective for effective team leadership, like coaching and counseling and emotional intelligence and those types of things, right? And then finally, that leads to that third step or third rung of the ladder, which is organizational competency, right? Social intelligence, those types of things that are really bigger picture type of thinking, vision casting, dream setting, those types of things, right, for the organization. So if you said, always as leaders, I'm going to start with self and then move to team competency and then move to organizational competency, then you can't help but break out of the structure that you live in and have an impact on everyone in the organization. It's exciting for me because when I can coach people through that cycle, right, then they de facto become amazing organizational leaders because they're not tied into a box. They can break down the walls of the box. Sounds like a, an inside out approach is what you're describing, right? That's right. That's well said. One, one of the things that you mentioned with the story you shared earlier, you know, where do people have this type of experience? You know, you, you have a unique leadership style where you, created this kind of template to use with people to kind of bring out their best self, perhaps inspire them. I don't know. I guess I'm just zooming out thinking, how could more people get to this intersection of passion and purpose? And it sounds like she tapped into that with her veterinarian practices and and just caught fire. You know, I, I think it requires number one, kind of a willingness to be vulnerable. I mean, that, that's at the essence, because what I tell people as we go through this exercise, I, I say very simply, um, it, it, under sort of our partnership in our relationship and my leadership, um, you kind of have two choices, right? Here's the choices. You can choose to have a leader that is going to feed you what you need to be successful on your terms, not mine, right? Um, or you can choose to have a leader that makes guesses and makes assumptions based on things they think they know about you. Which one would you rather have? <laughs> <laughs> right. It doesn't take long for people to go, um, let me think about this. Uh, I want to have a leader that feeds me what I need to survive, right? That, that Everybody wants that kind of leader, right? But what it takes though, and I always make sure that people have the out clause, like this is going to get like deep. You're, this is going to uncover some things that are going to go in the Wayback machine that you're going to go, wow. Um, like for me, as an example, um, validation was really important, 
right? That's a motivator for me. And for most of us, most of us can say, well, at some level, validation or affirmation or confirmation is important for sure, right? right? But for me, what I discovered is when my dad, when I was like seven, eight years old, my dad told me at one point, you're not going to amount to anything. Let that sink in for a minute. So what do you think I did with that? I could have said, well, I'm not going to amount to anything. My, I, my dad wrote the script for me. Nope, that's not what I did. I used that as fuel every single day, right? But it wasn't until I admitted that to myself, and now I admit it to leaders and friends and partners, and I'm admitting it on a nationwide podcast, <laughs> right, that I, that is a driver for me, and, and I know where it came from. So when people are vulnerable, then that's when breakthroughs happen. Right. It's no different than in a coaching and counseling session or, you know, professional psych- psychological counseling or whatever. Until you can say, I'm going to uh, recognize that I'm wired fundamentally how I'm wired and I need to make sure people know that that can help either hold me accountable or support me through a process of growth and development. Until such time as people are willing to do that, they're not going to get the value or the benefit of having done what you said, Ian, which is find that uh, intersection of passion and purpose. So I have a couple of questions. Number one, Kenny, when is your book coming out? Because <laughs> I feel like these are <laughs> these are principles that um, are, are deeply, um, I think, scarce in a lot of leadership. Um, and you know, um, so yeah, that's that's one question. Uh, and then the second question is, um, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about the future and and potential um, kind of alternate realities um, if if we are able to more broadly incorporate some of the the principles that we've learned about that we that we talk about on this show um, and that and that guests describe for us so um, you know y- your style of leadership um, if you were to envision a future what would that future look like if you know more leaders were to adopt some of these practices what what kind of possibilities do you foresee gosh you know i i mean i hate to be redundant but if if you think about how this could manifest itself and just take a, a single organizational structure where you had a leader that approached their leadership in a customized versus commoditized way understanding what every single person's motivators were what inspired them what made them burn bright and what they aspired to be so armed with that as a leader, I could give everyone, first of all, I could set core competencies in the organization related to those things, right? And I could hire people that had the, the specific set of motivators. And so I would ask different questions in the interview process too, right? Not the rudimentary fundamental interview questions like, tell me a time when you, you know, felt scare, whatever. Um, so as it relates to people within the organization, then I could give projects, initiatives, coaching, counseling based on what's important to an individual. So if you thought about that kind of manifesting itself throughout an organization, you have people that are on fire all the time. And I use the context of Tigger and Eeyore, right? 
And so, uh, you, you know, we all know triggers in life, enthusiasm, drive, passion, sometimes a bit overwhelming, but, but nevertheless, you know, on fire. And then you have the Eeyores of the world. They're like, oh, it's going to rain today, you know. And so those people still have a motivation. I'm just crazy enough to believe that we can take Eeyores if we understand the mechanics of how they operate and how their brain works and what motivates them and what inspires them and turn them into more like a tigger. We're not changing them as fundamentally as a human, but we're putting a fire back into them that was there all the time that had just never been discovered. So if we can do that as leaders in an organization, it permeates the entire organization is literally like a fire in the organization, like a wildfire. And, you know, when, when a wildfire gets burned and it's hard to put out, as we all know. So uh, that, that's really the, I think the essence of how this thing could impact an organization if everybody adopted the same sort of approach and philosophy. Uh, one of the themes that have emerged uh, during this discussion is this, this word of customization. I think it's come up a few times and I think primarily we've been talking about it in terms of a leadership and an employee or a team member, right? Is like, how can we customize their experience? The future I see is, is customizing work together, you know, coworker with coworker, you know, if there's autonomy in place, if the leader sets the right tone and parameters and lets people loose, let's, let's people, you know, uh, shine, uh, and be on fire. You know, what, what things can we create in an organization or collectively, you know, it's, um, it's fascinating to me, this customization of work, um, you know, we call it co-creation, you know, building, building together. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a powerful thing once, um, people feel and sense that they have that permission to do so. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. So, you know, in, in organizations often, and I have a, a sales team uh, here that's uh, 50 people strong, and fundamentally, they do exactly the same thing. Their objective measures are exactly the same. How many thing, How many widgets can you sell? Uh, what's your close rate on the leads that you have, et cetera, right? So all, all the fundamentals are the same. But as we lead the team, we lead them as individuals because each of them is driven by different things. So some are, are motivated by uh, a challenge of new and different opportunities. Some are motivated by competition. Others aren't. Right. And so um, I, I learned a valuable lesson on this years ago in my career where uh, this is kind of predates this notion of aim that I did, but I had this epiphany that because competition was important for me, it must be important for everybody. Right. And how right. many leaders do that? Right? right. Because it's important to me, it's got to be important to the organization or I'm going to make it important to the organization. So Chris is aware that I kind of had worldwide operations from a retail perspective. So all the retail teams around the theme parks in the world, um, we had this sort of competition and it was a, a level playing field scoring car, a scorecard that was based on several different objective measures that sort of created this, this uh, ability to observe how they were doing relative to the guest experience, the employee experience, and the business results, right? And so uh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing, I thought. That's the caveat, I thought. Uh, so the first month came it comes out, and this cool traveling trophy 
we put together, right? So whatever site it was, Hong Kong, Paris, you know, Tokyo, uh, LA, Orlando, we, we sent this trophy in a big box and they got to decorate it with their park paraphernalia and make it sort of personalized and all this. It was really fun and cool, right? Um, this went on for about six months and it tended to be the same two parks that always won. It's pretty immutable, right? The, the same two parks always won. So we pulled together a worldwide conference and uh, I just asked the question, so how's the, uh, how, what do you guys think about the competition? And it was like everybody was kind of looking at their shoes and looking up at this lights. And I was like, well, well, it must have been must have been amazing because it was important to me. Well, the truth of the matter was that it was a third, a third, a third. Right. A third of the people were on fire for the competition because they were wired like me because competition was a key driver to their performance. There was a third in the middle that was somewhat ambivalent. They're going to go along because the old guy said it's important and, you know, we're, we're going to play the game and, you know, teams will have a little bit of fun, but it's not really what trips our trigger. We would have done the work anyway and done as best we could without the competition. Then the bottom third was actually demotivated by the competition. They didn't want to be pitted against one another. So the epiphany for me was never, ever, ever do something that is a commoditized program. And again, in the context of the sales team that I have here, or the prior team that I had at Great Wolf or at Disney, never do that because you're always going to get those thirds. So always lead to the extent possible in a way that is important to an individual, not a collective. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. As you're sharing that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing, um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, among us um, about, you know, kind of the sacrifice of a leader right and that the sac- part of that sacrifice is ego right is is taking that off the table and you know kind of leap, putting the building blocks on the table and that can be hard right because uh you know there's this perception say in the world in the world of business in the world of executive business right of hey exec presidents having all the answers right um you know, you, you had like a definitive approach, right? And and that could have been an experience, right? That you just shared. It was like, hey, it, well, it was a failure, or, or but you looked at it like, hey, I learned, right? And you learned something about your people. Um, and you know, I guess the question, this might be more of an emotional question for leaders. And we talked about emotional intelligence a little bit earlier. It's like, how do they? How do you? How do people wrestle with or get better at that muscle of um, relinquishing themselves of their ego? right? In favor of their people, right? Making that, that kind of hero sacrifice. Uh, how, how do they, and how, how do you do that? Like how, how, how are you able to like manage and, and you know, maybe that's one example that you shared and then maybe there's others. It's probably infinite, right? Like things that happen all the time where you have to say, Hey, that's no, the focus is really, you know, I'm aiming, right. The aim is the, you know, unleashing the potential of these people, not me having my way with a strategy or a plan that I had. No, it's a good question. And I will tell you, it's very simple. I have a formula for that too. (laughs) So here's the formula. And this is going to be like super simple. And you're going to be like, wow, that, that that is really the way to do it. Simply this. I have one-to-ones with all my direct reports today, and I've had one-to-ones, you know, we call them touch bases, one-to-ones or whatever. So we go through the context of a tracker and prioritization and, you know, what the team should be focused on, maybe some developmental opportunities for the team based on observations and behaviors, et cetera. 
And then at the end of every one of those one-to-ones, I ask three questions. As your leader, what can I start doing? What can I stop doing? And what can I continue doing? Three simple questions. Every single touch base ends with that same three questions. And I give them permission to be honest. You can tell me anything you want to do. If there's a behavior that I've exhibited, now, I don't want you to say, you're ugly, change that. that does, that's not helpful because I know I'm ugly and there's nothing I can do about it. But if it's a behavioral thing, right, I want to know about that because it's had an impact on them at some level. And it's resonated with them either negative or positively in some level. So I want to hear those things as a leader so I can be more effective for them. And if they know that I'm willing to do that, then reciprocally, they can ask the same questions of me. Like, okay, well, what can I start doing, stop doing, continue doing? So in effect, what it does is it sort of dispels this sort of old HR premise that you need to do mid-year check-in and year-end check-in. You do check-ins throughout the year. You're doing check-ins literally at every touch base, so there's never a surprise. Nothing more disappointing to employees and for us as individuals than at the end of the year having someone give you feedback, right, that that you didn't know about nine months ago when it was happening in real time and couldn't do anything about it until it was too late, right? It was damaging your reputation or your brand in the organization. So that's what I'd say to answer that question is, Ask those three questions as leaders, every single one-to-one, every single time you get a chance to be with your team, and then be willing to make the changes associated with that. And the people absolutely will take a bus for you because they believe that you want to improve just as you're helping them improve. That's great. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Well, in the spirit of crossover too, I, I'm, as you're sharing that, I'm, I'm toggling over, you know, I got teenagers now. So that notion of like, Hey, what can I start? What can I stop? Continue. And to your point in the business world, it's like, yeah, it gets, in fact, those are oftentimes just a work session. That's like, maybe it's once a year, right. With a leader where they'll be that open, right. Versus, Hey, every one-on-one and allowing that just true and raw feedback but if you're approaching it like that, right, kind of that co-creator approach, it opens up a different conversation. Literally yesterday, I had one of the folks on my team, um, when I asked the start, stop, continue question, they said, yeah, you know, um, when we're at the end of a conversation in our one-to-one or I'm sharing something with you, you often ask the question, so what did you learn, right? And they said, that feels kind of condescending. I was like, wow. Okay. I can understand how you would feel that way. And so please accept my apologies and know that I will be very sensitive to that in the future. That's amazing, right? What? Who does that? So that's just a real example of how this can work and how it can unlock the potential. So that person walked away with, okay, this is great. This works. Yeah. You're getting at it like it's, it's shared experience, right? It's a shared experience leadership, yep. right? Yeah. I like that. Kenny, have you noticed that when people join your team for the first time, does it sometimes take them a little bit of time to sort of develop that, that trust in you? Cause I imagine, you know, maybe they're coming from situations where they didn't have that level of safety. It it takes a little bit of time. And I mentioned before that as part of this exercise, 
um, there, there's two things that take people time. One is just the notion that you have a leader that really cares at that level, that's looking to lead you in a way that's important to you, not an organization. Um, and then the second thing that takes time is that it's just really hard and deep work, you know, that yeah. people have to do if they're going to take this seriously. And I've had people come back and, and just sort of mail it in, so to speak. And I, I can't be as effective a leader. So what will happen a lot of times is those people will go back and redo it and say, I, I know that I need to do a, a deeper dive in this so we can be more effective together. Right. So, yeah, I think you're you're 100 percent right. It does take a little time because people just aren't used to it. But I am I'm sort of nothing but diligent and consistent. And so I, I again, go back to the old premise that um, you I, I you have a choice how I lead you. Right. I can lead you in a way that is important to you and it's going to help you thrive and achieve success on your terms. Or I can lead you in a way that's built on assumptions that I make about those things. And the answer is always, uh, I'll take door A. (laughs) Imagine for a second in your own personal relationships, take yourself out of the leadership realm for a minute, uh, in your own personal relationships in your life, if you could understand your partners, your kids, your, you know, whatever those folks you work with and not for profits, whatever, right, those aspects of your life, if you can understand what their aim was as well, I mean, imagine the power that that would have in our personal relationships, too. So it's not just like right, you have one life. You don't have multiple lives, right? So if you think about it in that context, it, it is the keys to the kingdom in the sense that you could be way more effective together as a partner and rowing in the same direction uh, because you're understanding what's important to people and, and you're helping them achieve what they need to achieve. Definitely. One of the things that stood out to me uh, in talking about AIM is imagine if our LinkedIn profiles captured AIM. I love that. And so when we come across each other's profiles, it's like, whoa, this is what sets this person, you know, this is what gives this person their spark. Um, And you can find alignment a lot better, I think, if it's front and center versus digging for it. I think once people find their aim, it's like, how, how can we display that more so others can detect that? Yeah. And we can find the correlations. Yeah. You know, I, that is, that is such a cool idea. Um, and I think we're in a world right now where, I mean, look, I mean, it's not a sociological commentary. I think it's reality, right? right. Where, we're, we're in a very insular world, very segregated world, perhaps more segregated than we've been in the last couple of generations. And I think fundamentally, as, as I think about my experience in my life, if, if you're right, Ian, if, if people could really understand what the core motivators were and inspirations and, and aspirations of each other, regardless of those 23 dimensions of diversity <laughs> on those wheels that you see, right? right? Um, appreciate the differences, but get to the core of each other and be vulnerable because that's what it takes, right? There's a lot of yeah. vulnerability to put yourself out there because you, you will be assailed at some point because of what motivates you or what inspires you or what your aspirations are potentially. Um, but if you're willing to put yourself out there, you can sort of break down some of those barriers that exist. I, I really, I really like 
that idea of sort of sharing that up front and just saying, I'm going to put my cards on the table and, and have people understand that. And, you know, I think of that in the context of like mentoring relationships, right? Just if you use LinkedIn as the channel through which you would do that, um, if you could understand the the motivators for people and what inspires them, what they aspire to be, I mean, and you sort of create kind of a dating profile scenario, right? Where I'm going to align with people that are sort of similar to that, but I could also choose if I want uh, to align myself with people who have distinctions or differences so that I could grow and develop so that not every yes. person in that box thinks the same, but you wouldn't know any of that unless someone had the willingness and, and, and sort of the desire to share the those fundamentals. So I, I really like that approach. Well, and and that's really cool because with a LinkedIn profile, you know, predominantly we're listing accomplishments, we're listing, you know, tenure at different companies. Um, mm-hmm. Getting we're that, displaying the past. Yeah, like mm-hmm. getting getting that aim profile really fleshed out. If it's done in the way that you've described, it's not going to be just a casual thing. And so it means that much more when you have two people kind of comparing. Yeah, where they've arrived at after doing all that work. I think we're onto something here, guys. Yeah, no, and t- definitely, definitely. And I think having that clarity up front, like we've seen where you know there are people uh, that are well known or that you know uh, are you know doing books or something, but and they they have identified oftentimes what and they're not calling it you know aim, but they have something about like, hey, this is where I'm my direction, right? And they're they're framing it that way. It's their story. And it's impactful to people on on several levels, right? Because it touches their heart as well as their mind, right? And and that's the thing is like we also talk mm-hmm. about is like how do we break beyond just logos and get to pathos, right? And ethos of pr- shared principles, right? Which is the highest the that's connection right. between the two. Um, well, it's like yeah. you said, and and then also kind of breaking out of these pointless culture wars, right? Where if we get ba- down to the basics, like we are all, you know, ultimately. Uh, you know, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, right, brothers and sisters, right, and you know, there's this uh, longer term story of that vision of wow, we all converge, and well, if we're get, to get from here to there, you know, what better way than to be be clear about who we are and what we really feel, right, and yeah. what we what we believe about ourselves and, and others. No, I think it's right. I, you know, and and the the Buddhists call it the middle way, right. So it's a almost picture of a triangle and the, the middle way is each of us at a corner of the bottom, but then the middle way is the apex of the triangle. So together we're, we're better. I mean, it's, it's such a simple premise, but until you're willing to really put yourself out there and be assailable, you know, and be vulnerable, um, you're you're never going to know. And so, again, back to the premise of, of really, I think, strong leadership characteristics and, and just the willingness to ask your team consistently, what, what can I do better by you as an individual? What can I do better? And if you're willing to listen to that, then that you, you can start. It's like the old starfish story where, you know, the, the kid on the beach is throwing starfish in the ocean and a guy walks up and says, what are you doing? And the kid says, I'm saving the starfish. And the guy says, well, you, there's a million on the beach here. You can't possibly hope to be making a difference. And the kid throws one more in and he says, I made a difference for that one. That's the essence of this whole story, right? Is that if I can make a difference for one person at a time and then another 
and then another, and then another. I've made a cultural difference overall. This episode of Lead with a Question was produced by me, Rob Callen, with support from my co-hosts and BraveCore founders, Chris Deaver and Ian Clausen. The music you heard was composed by Ian as part of another project he's involved in called Moon Machine. Dave Arcade created our podcast cover art. And special thanks to Kenny Funk for the conversation today. As he said, I think we're on to something. If you want to learn more about the work we're doing at BraveCore, you can check out our website at bravecore.co. The Lead with a Question podcast is a production of BraveCore LLC. Thanks for being with us.